don't have enough room for all my books here today. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Today I'd like to speak about rationalism and skepticism. On this day, we commemorate the Dormition of St. Anna, the mother of the Theotokos, the mother of the Panagia, the grandmother of Christ, this great and righteous figure who all of the righteousness of Israel passed down through her to the mother of God, to this woman who then gave flesh to our Lord and Savior. As you may know, the story of St. Anna's life is one of many years of barrenness with her husband, Joachim. And the two of them were very pious, but they endured ridicule because in those days, people who were barren, they, they saw it as a curse from God. Little did they know the great blessing that they would receive. At the end of almost every service in the church, the end of Vespers and Orthros and Liturgy, and paraclesis, and sacraments, and the akathis. When we do the dismissal, we say, may Christ our true God, through the intercessions of his holy mother, the honorable and life-giving cross, the apostles, St. John the Baptist, our parish patron, we say, and the ancestors of God, Joachim and Anna. So if you're Orthodox, you know this name, because you hear it all the time, these two names, rather. You hear Joachim and Anna. But for most of the Christian world, these blessed and holy grandparents of the living God remain unknown. If you were to ask a Protestant, who is the mother of Mary? They would say, we don't know. No one knows who that is. And if you were to tell this person, oh, actually, it's Joachim and Anna are the parents of Mary. They would say, how? Prove it to me. Show me where it says their names. To us Orthodox, if you're an innocent enough Orthodox, you go, wait a second, their names aren't in the Bible? No, they're not in the Bible. Their names are not there. So all of the Protestant world, these two great and holy people are unknown. And so we don't understand this lineage of holiness that leads to our, our Lord and Savior. Even in the Roman Catholic Church, they have succumbed to rationalism. I was looking online. This is from Catholic.org. It says, Saints Joachim, sometimes called Joaquin, and Anne are the parents of the Virgin Mary. There are no mentions of them in the Bible or Gospels. What we know comes from Catholic legend and the Gospel of James, which is an unsanctioned, apocryphal writing from the second century A.D., we do know from scholarship that the Gospel of James was not written by James, the brother of the Lord, despite its claim to be authored that way. It tells the story that Mary was promised to jo Joachim and Anne by an angel, was consecrated to God, and she remained a virgin all her life. Naturally, there is plenty of room for scholarly debate about these saints. We have no true primary sources that prove they even existed. But certainly, we can agree that Mary had parents. It is humorous to us Orthodox, and I'm not trying to cast dispersions against other Christians. I'm trying to get at a more important point. Now let's compare that with what our beloved church says. In the hymns from Vespers and Orthros, it said, the righteous and blessed grandparents of Christ. In another hymn, it said, divinely wise Anna, 
Blessed is your womb, which bore her who carried the light of the world in her womb. And the Apolitikian that you just heard says, O godly-minded Anna, you carried in your womb her who was pregnant with life, capital L, the mother of God. Another hymn says, the most illustrious, praiseworthy, God-inspired, and ever-memorable Anna is lifted up from the temporal life on earth and taken to life immortal. Because remember, we're celebrating her dormition. And finally, you rose above all of Israel's mothers, carrying in your womb the ever-virgin Theotokos, elect in holiness the Lord's ancestor. Even that phrase, ancestors of God, we keep saying that in the church. Whenever we say something a lot in the church, we should take note. Ancestors of God? God has predecessors? That's what an ancestor is. That should cause us pondering, should it not? Because this points to the reality of what God in his compassion and love and humility has done. He's created for himself ancestors. Ancestors who we also must say he created. But they are his ancestors. Why? Because he came in the flesh after they did. And so Christ has grandparents. Just as many of you experience your grandparents, our loving Lord has made it such that he has grandparents. The Doxastikon, which was just sung this morning, says, That blameless and holy couple, Joachim and Anna, from their fruitless loins produced the Theotokos, a holy rod from which arose Christ God, the salvation of the world. Now that they have passed on to heavenly dwellings, they are with their most immaculate daughter, the Virgin, and they celebrate in chorus with angels as they intercede on behalf of the world. As for our part, let us reverently congregate and extol them, saying, You became the grandparents of Christ through Mary, the all-pure mother of God. We pray you intercede with him on behalf of our souls. See that? It's, it's a backwards line. They became grandparents of God through their, their daughter. We think of ancestors as coming from the top down. This goes back upwards because once Christ came into the world, suddenly he had ancestors. So our skepticism and our rationalism is what I wanted to talk about today. And you see from the very beginning of this feast day that we can ask lots of questions. Who are these people? How do we know they existed? Where are the texts that tell us about them? Aren't these hymns just written by saints many centuries later and on and on? Isn't the Gospel of James apocryphal and not accepted by the church? We can let our minds have a heyday with this. And let's not even talk about relics. Did any of you read the bulletin this morning? On the front page it says, Portions of St. Anna's holy relics may be found on Mount Athros. Stavronikita Monastery has part of her left hand. St. Anna Skeet has part of her incorrupt left foot. And I've venerated that very relic. Her incorrupt left foot. Kudlamosiu Monastery, part of her incorrupt right foot, and other monasteries, as well as St. Anna Greek Orthodox Church, which I put in there, in Roseville, California. If you would like to venerate the relics of the mother of, the mother of God, the church in Roseville has a portion of her relics. It's not that far away outside of Sacramento. So let's talk about relics. How do we know that these are actually the relics of a woman who lived 2,000 years ago? Where's the verifiable stamp of proof of authenticity? 
And you see, our mind can go on and on like this. Because we live in a world that is immersed in skepticism and rationalism. We can look at everything with questioning. Because, in fact, I would even venture to say we live in the most skeptical and rational time and place in all of the history of humanity. So it's no wonder that these thoughts creep into our minds. They creep into my mind. We have relics here at this church, relics of St. John the Baptist, relics of the holy innocent slain by King Herod. And we've all had those questions in our mind. Have we not? Are these real? Is this real? We all have this struggle because we live in a world that is where skepticism and rationalism are held up as the most great of virtues. We are told to question everything. Everything must be picked apart with our own broken and distorted minds. And our broken minds, individually, each of us, are going to figure everything out in the world. Even to suggest that skepticism and rationalism are harmful is to stand in the lonely minority. Many of you might be thinking, what? What is Father saying? We can't be skeptical. We can't use our rational minds. Now let me, let me be very clear. Rationalism, the word rational, logikos, is a word of the church. We have been given our rational capacity by God. So, of course, there is something that is gifted and beautiful and God-given in this. But we have become so distorted in this. It's like saying God gave us our sexual desires. Well, that doesn't mean that they're good. There is a good time and place for that, but there's so much that is not good. Likewise with our rational minds. To begin to understand what it means to step out of our skeptical, rational mind. It's like seeing the world in a whole different way. And that's in a world, a world of awe and wonder and a world of trust in God. Because it is a blindness. And it's a blindness that imagines itself as a better vision. And that's the great uh, trick for us as we imagine that we can understand and know the world better with our skepticism and our rationalism. And yes, there's a kernel of truth in that, but how much we distort things because we can't see things. Because what does rationalism really say? It says, I am the one who will figure things out. I am the one who will discern. I am the one who will decide whether something is truthful or not truthful. I, I, I. We're blinded by our hubris, our self-reliance, our self-confidence. And this, again, we have to be compassionate with ourselves. This has seeped into our culture for centuries. It goes all the way back to rationalism in, in Europe and enlightenment. It goes back to Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am. This is a way of holding on to our own ability that is harmful to us. In the gospel today, we encounter another stumbling block for our rational, modern, Western minds. We have demons, demoniacs. How would we describe this? In the gospel, it says, very plainly, two demoniacs met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one would pass that way. 
And they said, what do you have to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? And then on, as you hear in the gospel. In the gospel of Luke, it even goes further to say that he wore no clothes, he was kept under guard, bound with chains and fetters, but he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the desert. In the gospel of Luke, he introduces himself as legion, because he had a legion of demons. Now, the modern man could find many psychological diagnoses for this man. We might give him prescriptions, but what's at the heart of the problem? A demon. A demon is at the heart of the problem for this man. Legion, in fact. But this offends our rational mind, so we come up with alternative realities to explain it away. Or we might say, this is another way we do this, we say, that's in the Bible that's not now. Or we say, that's how they thought then. But now we understand things better. And what are we doing in doing that? We're saying, demons don't exist. Or they're not quite like that. Maybe they're just sort of these little things that come around. But everywhere around us, we have demons and angels and spiritual warfare. Everywhere, all the time. We take part in that. We participate with demons. We participate with angels. We engage in spiritual warfare that has profound impact upon the entirety of the cosmos. This is what we're a part of. But we can't see and feel and touch them, right? And this brings us to the holy dwelling place of God, the physical church. Here we are. A bunch of people sitting in chairs in a room with icons around and the holy altar behind me and me as the priest wearing these clothes. But here we are surrounded by angels and saints alive and here physically with us. Not mentally, not a figment of our imagination. The icons are here to help us in our weakness. The icons are here to tell us this is what is true, that St. John is standing here with us, that St. Paraskevia is standing here with us, that the angels are here with us. They're here. How is that for our rational minds? Now you might say, well, come on, Father. Why are you saying all this about angels being here? It's so far from my reality. Well, this is what we pray in the liturgy. At the entrance when the priest and the deacon and the altar boys come out for the small entrance, the prayer that the priest says is, Master, Lord our God, who has established the orders and hosts of angels and archangels in heaven to minister to your glory, grant that the holy angels may enter with us, that together we may celebrate and glorify your goodness. For to you belong all glory, honor, and worship. For the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. Every liturgy, this is what we say. Every liturgy, we are reminded in the very words of the liturgy of reality. Because our rational minds take us away from reality. There's something to blow your mind. We think our rational minds bring us into reality. Well, that would be if I had a rational mind that was purified. The word logikos comes
comes from the word logos. And we all know what the word logos means. Capital L, the word of God, Christ himself. So I am only logikos in as much as I am in communion with the logos. Rationality is not a blanket good thing. It is good in as much as it relates to the logos himself. And I must say that my mind is broken and my mind is distorted and the conclusions that I come to, if we're honest with ourselves, how often they're wrong. How much I felt I was right in that situation, observing someone's actions, and then I find out quite the opposite. And I just go, oh, I misunderstood the situation. No, it's because my mind is broken. It's so fundamentally broken that I don't even see reality. That I talk to you about angels and saints being here physically with us in the church, and it's like this leap of our mind to try to imagine that. It's a leap. Imagine that you're colorblind. I don't know if any of you are actually colorblind, so forgive me. Maybe you can tell us about this. Imagine you're colorblind and someone is telling you, you can't see red. Someone is telling you, that's red. What does it mean to you if you're colorblind? In fact, how do you even know that you're colorblind? Because the people who aren't colorblind are telling you that. That's how you know that you're colorblind. You can't know in and of yourself. How can you know in and of yourself that angels are or aren't in this nave right now? How? We don't have saintly people enough in our church. Forgive me, I speak of myself first and foremost. So we don't see these things. But if you, if you have any doubt about this, read. So this is a wonderful book. I'm sorry to say that like many Orthodox books, it's out of print. And my dear friend who gave it to me, he looked to buy another copy. It's available on Amazon for $2,400. <laughs> so, but I'll read from this. It's called Experiences During the Divine Liturgy, and it lists hundreds of miraculous experiences. We say miraculous meaning the things that we can't see because we're colorblind. A new saint of our church, St. Nicholas Planas, he was a saint in Athens at the beginning of the, the 20th century, would chant everything in liturgy with such compunction that one of the many times while he was chanting in the church, he heard angels chanting the Beatitudes along with him, as well as the Trisagion hymn, Holy God, and many others from the liturgy of St. Basil the Great. At one point, he interrupted the chanting and touched the hand of his spiritual daughter, Yerondisa Martha, whom I met, and this author is saying, whom I met personally, and in fact, in many occasions, I had the opportunity to hear events that concerned St. Nicholas Planas from her lips. He touched her and he said, can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear the angels? She said, I cannot hear them, Father. And immediately the priest regretted for having told her and was telling himself, oh, I shouldn't have told her. Why did I say that? I shouldn't have told her. <laughs> because he was humble. He didn't want to show his holiness because if the other person heard the angels, then it wouldn't be a show of his holiness. But because she couldn't hear it, then he regretted saying that. And I've told you about St. Yakovos, another recent saint, how he was hindered from doing the great entrance because the angels in the sanctuary were crowding him so much he couldn't get out. 
This is what he told to his chanter afterwards, the chanter having to keep singing the, the cherubic hymn again and again and again. <laughs> Wondering, where is Father Yakovos? <laughs> and what does the cherubic hymn say? Let us who mystically represent the cherubim and who sing the thrice holy hymn to the life-creating trinity now lay aside every worldly care so that we may receive the king of all who is invisibly escorted by the angelic hosts. It's the testimony of the saints that the angels are here with us and the saints are here with us. But our broken rational minds don't believe this. Or we kind of just set these things aside. My brothers and sisters, this is reality that I speak of. But it's a reality that is so obscured by the brokenness of our own rational, skeptical mind. How do we break free of it? By believing the stories that we hear. Believing them without a doubt. Without a question of, oh, St. Nicholas Buenas, he must have been really tired and he kind of heard an echo off the wall and he thought it was angels. Right? We can do this. We've heard this and maybe we've succumbed to that kind of thinking ourselves. So how can you become uncolorblind? By listening to the people who are not colorblind. They're telling us. They're telling us the reality that doesn't exist in our own vision. Listen once more to the Divine Liturgy. In the Anaphora, which we will begin very soon, the consecration of the gifts, we say, we thank you also for this liturgy which you have deigned to receive from our hands, even though thousands of archangels and tens of thousands of angels stand around you, the cherubim and seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, soaring aloft upon their wings, singing the trample hymn, exclaiming, proclaiming, and saying, and then that hymn, holy, holy, holy. Together with these blessed powers, Master, who loves mankind, we also exclaim and say, we are together with them. Whether you choose to be or not, you are with the angels and saints in the divine liturgy. Your little children are with angels and saints, surrounded by them, enveloped by them, embraced by them. But our mind becomes a great stumbling block to this. Yet the greatest stumbling block course is the body and blood of Christ and thanks be to God you Orthodox we all know it's the body and blood of Christ look at the rest of Christendom if they don't even believe that it's the body and blood of Christ they call it a remembrance they use grape juice and whatever else if they actually call it the body and blood of Christ they give a thousand explanations of how that has occurred Every single other Christian church out there, they have to say, well, it's the body and blood of Christ because of this thing called transubstantiation, and this is how it happens, and when it happens, and how it's still bread or wine, or it isn't. And the Orthodox Church just says, it is. So thanks be to God that for all of you, you believe that. You know that it's the medicine of immortality. You know that this is a place only of healing as we experience these last year and a half. Communion is only healing, is not the giving of sickness and death. So we believe that. So there's a little glimmer of light in which you can break free of your rational mind. But we are swimming in a sea of skepticism. We're all spiritually colorblind. 
Are we humble enough to admit it? That's where I would like to end. Are we humble enough to admit that our rational, skeptical mind is a great stumbling block to our salvation and to our experience of reality? Are we willing to admit that? If everyone around you, there is, this is a little side note. I was uh, hearing from someone, I don't even remember why I heard this, but there was a, a, a color that didn't exist in the, the Greek lexicon. I think it was blue. blue, thank you. Smarter people know this, blue. The word didn't exist in ancient Greek. They called the sky red or other colors. <laughs> exactly, can you think a world without blue? Look at all of your blue shirts and blue scarves and whatever that's blue. Blue didn't exist to the ancient Greeks. Now, did the color exist? Did these fabrics exist in these colors of flowers and things? Of course. But the people didn't even have a word for it. This is the way that we are with spiritual things across the board because we're born into a society that rejects it all and a society that invites us to reject it all. We cannot do this, my brothers and sisters. We are in a sanctified space here in the nave that is full of angels and saints. And this sanctified space is something that is beyond our greatest imagination. But again, we read it in this, these stories. I'll close with one final little story. It's a brief vignette. A Turkish man, Ahmet, took notice of this blessing inside the church, the blessing to the priest. He took note of this blessing inside the church and saw rays of uncreated light being sent forth by the priest's hand toward the hearts of the Christians who were attending the liturgy. Have any of you ever seen that? I haven't. This is what is happening. Why do you think the priest is doing this? Just because it's a gesture? Just because we're supposed to do this in the liturgy? No, it's because rays of uncreated light are being sent into your hearts by Christ, because this is the blessing of Christ. This is what's happening. This incident made such a great impression on him among all the other formidable and fearsome things that he witnessed that he wished to become a Christian and later on a martyr. We are here in this church and we are joined by our dear friends and fellow strugglers in Christ and the spiritual warfare, all of you that you see and all of those that you don't see. May we continue to deny our rational mind its desires. May we continue to reject this and listen to those who are not blinded, those who see things as they are, because this is the only path to our healing. Amen. Let us all say with our whole soul, with our whole mind, let us say, Lord Almighty God.